0: This is the Reading Teachers Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting
1: about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, joining us here today in the Reading Teacher's Lounge is LaMonica Williams, the Director of Programs of Early Reading at Teaching Matters, a national nonprofit dedicated to increasing teacher effectiveness to improve student success. Headquartered in New York City, home to the largest, most complex school district in the country, Teaching Matters has partnered with over 1,500 schools, 35,000 teachers and reached over 600,000 students with the aim of improving K 12 instruction through coaching and professional development. The nonprofit organization focuses on primarily high poverty districts. Ms. Williams manages all of Teaching Matters' early literacy work, including the Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is a 10 week program that provides teachers with the in person coaching and resource materials that they need to me- quickly move students to reading proficiency, which is You know what we're all about here at the Reading Teacher's Lounge. The Jumpstart program serves as an on-ramp to the Early Reading Matters program, a three-year-long intensive collaboration program that has resulted in significant reading level proficiency gains in grades one and two in New York City's most struggling schools. So we really wanted you to hear about the Jumpstart program and Early Reading Matters program today in the Reading Teacher's Lounge to see um, how it related to your own reading instruction. Prior to joining Teachers Matters, LaMonica was a teacher, instructional coach, and school administrator at a high-performing elementary school in New York City. She then went on to be an instructional leader and founding member of a new school in the South Bronx, where over 90% of the students were reaching on grade level by second grade, and we can't wait to hear about how she
2: managed to do that. So LaMonica, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm. I'm thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and to... To talk with you all about the work that we're doing at Teaching Matters and to to just share a little bit about our journey.
0: Great. LaMonica, we're so happy to have you here with us today. I think you have a wealth of knowledge that you can um, share with our listeners who, um, as most of our listeners know, we just hope that people can pick up on little tidbits of information. So welcome to the Reading Teachers Lounge. And
2: let's jump in. Can you tell us a little bit about Teaching Matters and how it started? Sure, absolutely. So, um, our organization, again, is called Teaching Matters. Um, It's it's been around um, supporting New York City schools for over 20 years, um, really with the aim of making sure uh, there was equitable access to excellent teaching, uh, regardless of your zip code, um, specifically in New York City. And really, um, our mission is to close the opportunity gap for you know, the inequalities that we kind of have seen historically with marginalized students. Um, And I'll just add to that, on top of that, uh, really our focus is in supporting teachers and understanding that um, when you're teaching, that can sometimes, depending on where you are, be an isolated process. And so our, our, also our goal in doing this work is to really be thought partners and to link arms with teachers and be a support for them um, as they're navigating their classrooms, learning about their students, and, and thinking about how to um, get them to proficiency. In um, my specific role in our program, you know, that's within early literacy.
1: So in terms of school improvement, instead of like this sort of big district wide initiative or school initiative y'all are going directly to the teacher level and making it, changes.
2: Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's really where, you know, the magic happens, if you will, with teachers um, in classrooms with students. And so that's where we all of our um, consultants, our coaches are previously educators. And so that's where we feel most at home in the classroom with teachers and with students. And that's, that's where our work and our support happens.
0: So it sounds like you guys are coming in at the perfect time because we know right now that teachers are stressed to the max, especially with um, students coming back to school after the COVID-19 pandemic. So I know right now that um, that there are some estimates right now of unfinished learning due to COVID-19 and it suggests that students are returning to fall with roughly like 70% of the learning gains in reading relative to a typical school year. So that's definitely putting them behind. So it's a compound threat for the most vulnerable students. Of course, we're very worried about them. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're seeing with teachers and what are some of the things that teachers are needing to overcome? How are you helping that? What else are you seeing in the classroom?
2: Sure. Um, so you're absolutely right. Things are stressful <laughs> um, to say the least. And so i um, I think our goal is um, really when we're going in is to, uh, again, just make sure that we're checking in on teachers in terms of how they're doing um, and really making sure that they see our support as supportive, right. We're, we're there to help. Um, We're, and by no means there for any kind of evaluation or anything like that. And so um, we've really felt that teachers that when we're working with teachers, we just need to add in a little bit more space um, for reflection. Um, sometimes, you know, before starting a meeting, we'll take a temperature check in the room or let people just kind of discuss where they are, what they're feeling, take a breath before we dive into the rigorous work of kind of looking at data or whatever it may be. Um, I think the other thing that they're needing support with is um, really how do they, in the same way, kind of support students in their social emotional space, and and how do they help ease them into the school year and understand that you know it's not um, it is uh, important to to focus on the academics, but I think we're noticing this year with these stu- with our students is that they need a that a little bit more. Of that kind of space to talk through how they're feeling, uh, where they are, what they need. Um, And so what we've incorporated into our programming and our support is giving teachers some of those materials in terms of, uh, you know, getting to know their students. um, Empathy mapping would just be kind of one example of that. So they can start to incorporate that into their instruction as well. Um, Everything we do is kind of framed on or laid within this foundation of culturally responsive teaching and education Um, and so we've know we just see that more than ever that we really need to lead and and step into this work from that lens um more so than ever before so that's kind of a a view of what we're doing and how we're trying to support i
0: think that's so wonderful i think one of the most important things um especially when you kind of approach a problem like coming back to school, coming back into a classroom with different needs, is that it's so overwhelming and you feel the need to just jump in. But I think that for all of us, especially our students, but also importantly, our teachers, we need to kind of model what the expectation is. So if you need to teach your kids to take that breath, to get started, to kind of center yourself, get prepared for the day, modeling that and also allowing teachers to do that. Um, I mean, we expect kids to be kind and nice at school. And if the culture Mm -hmm. of your school is um, not the same expectation that you have for your kids, for the staff, um, I think that that really rubs people and and, um, it can kind of play into it. So I love this, making sure that you're setting the tone for everyone First and foremost, and I think you have to start with the teachers because a teacher can't be there and 100% if they, they can't give 100%. I mean, if they are not um, confident, comfortable, feeling like they're ready to go in the first, you know, piece. So I love that. I think that it's really nice to have that partnership because I do think teachers right now don't want to hear, here's one more thing for you to do. Let's leave this (laughs) onto your plate. They can't, nope. they can't handle that. They need to say, hey, here's a lifeline. So it does kind of sound like your program is saying, hey, this is truly a partnership. We are not coming in to criticize, critique. We are here to lead by example and help you kind of work through this. So props to you for that. I love that. So we'll kind of, let's learn a little bit more about it too. I can't wait to hear some more about this jumpstart program that you lead. Um, you know, like how long has it been around and how does sure. it work?
2: Tell yeah them. so um, the jumpstart program it's actually it's very exciting because we have our you know full-blown kind of literacy program where we go into a school and really help them try to reflect on their literacy block or their literacy practices um, and and spend you know three years kind of um, setting the stage and then really supporting and working through that and then the third year is all about all right, we're, we're working ourselves out of a job here. So how are you going to take what we've learned and run with it? Um, but the jumpstart program kind of came out of that understanding that, um, when we were kind of in schools doing the three-year program, we saw that there was specifically in the in the schools that we serve, right, the, the schools that are high need, high poverty, there was this need for um, how do we support students who have ju- who are pre-readers essentially? They 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 are starting their journey at the very beginning, um, and we saw very quickly that that was an area that we needed to kind of support and address. And so our jumpstart program was really, um, came out of, of seeing that after working in several schools with our, our full blown program. Um, and it was also an opportunity for, you know, those schools that maybe couldn't, um, sign on for the three-year program, but knew they needed the support for their early readers, Um, they were, this was a program for them. How do I, how do I just get started? I have these early readers that really need support. I'm not ready to commit to the three-year program yet, but I want to get started. Um, And so that's how Jumpstart came to be. And we really focused on those very foundational skills um, when it comes to literacy. Um, And what was interesting enough is that we launched and piloted the program when we were all in this remote instruction uh, world. And so um, that was really interesting because while we had tested it prior to COVID, this was um, our time to really see it live. And we knew we had to make adaptations for those students that were... you know, getting instruction remotely and those students that were in person last year. Um, And so we actually did see around 83% of students who started the program as pre-readers were able to get to the place where they were beginning readers and really starting to own the and be independent with the text. Um, And we, interesting enough, we actually saw with our students who were fully remote and those who were in person, very similar results. Um, And in some cases, even um, better results in the remote instruction, but they were very similar. And that was really exciting for all of us because we had spent so much time adapting our materials to work in that remote setting. Um, So that's that was just one thing that came out of of that program. But it, it really is to focus on students who need some of that foundational support um, they're starting, you know, at the very beginning of, of their reading journey.
1: So Mary and I talk a lot about like what we wish we had learned all of this stuff in college and we instead oh, yes. had to learn on the job in the last two decades of our career. So is that what the jumpstart program is, is that you sort of boil down like the essentials of like, like three years of your whole reading matters program into like, is it a 10 week program? program where they get like the basics of like what are the importance like what is how do you teach someone how to read like phonemic awareness and things like that concepts of print
2: exactly right exactly and um so What we had, um, just to back up a little bit, it's not the whole program kind of condensed into one. Rather, it's taking a portion of our program. When we talk about small group instruction and how to do reading in a small group space, we pulled that section out and really supported um, and tried to make it in a, bite-sized way for teachers to do exactly that. How do I teach reading at this very early level? What are the most important things, right? What are the activities I should be doing um, rather than just holding up flashcards with letters on them? But what are the activities, the multisensory activities I can be doing with students to help them learn those letters, Uh, to help them learn their sounds, um, and then to help them, even there's a component within the the lesson, if needed, to do some letter um, name recognition of their own student's name. You know, we started at the very beginning of helping them um, to see and understand that. And then, of course, the phonological awareness piece and rhyming and and all of those pieces also are part of that Jumpstart program. Um, In addition to that, one thing that I think is... um, I don't know if it's unique about our program, but something that's really important to us is that everything is kind of centered around data and that we're being really intentional. So within the 10-week program, we start with some assessments and we set goals for uh, with teachers for students. And then throughout the 10 weeks, we're monitoring their progress towards those goals. And then at the end, we'll do another round of like formative uh, or like endline assessments, if you will, where we can actually see uh, the growth and, and then take teachers on the journey of, okay, here, here's some next steps for the students. And so that's how we were able to really understand um, the growth and how much growth was happening within the program.
1: So the teachers aren't learning the material in a vacuum. They're actually like learning it with their students as like, and kind of practicing and learning and assessing their student and trying the techniques.
2: Exactly. For the
1: program. That's really cool.
2: And did y'all make the assessments yourself? I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Oh, no. So the assessments, um, some of them, when we talk about assessments, we like to use what the school is using. And so our program is not like a curriculum in any way or here's what you have to use. We try to leverage what the school is using and and unpack that those assessments with the teachers, helping them choose which assessments are probably the priority ones to use. Right. Rather than trying in some cases, trying to give so many. Uh, So we really boil it down to like, here are the assessments for these early readers that would be most helpful um, or using Dibbles or what is now Acadians to help them kind of unpack where their students are. And then from there you know, we would, um, we would go from there. For schools that maybe don't have an assessment that they're using, we do have some for them, but they're very kind of baseline in terms of letter ID. Um, when we're talking about concepts of, about print, we might have uh, some of those materials. So um, we do bring some assessments, but for the most part, we really try to use what the school is using, um, you know, because that's, that's, um, that's what's gonna support the teachers the most.
1: Um, So we're talking
0: just about like the universal screeners that the schools would be using mostly at the very beginning of the year, and then a middle of the year check, and then an end of the year check. And then uh, also
2: their phonics program and what assessments come with their phonics program.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And then, you know, I always bring in this, like these questions about dyslexic children, um, because we know that almost 15% of our student population will probably struggle in some way with literacy. Um, And uh, so then I'm wondering, so if these teachers are doing really great instruction, then you can probably be able to piece out the children that might need even more great instruction. And maybe even some of the kids who are high functioning quote unquote with dyslexia or have some sort of a reading difficulty um, they probably will benefit from the program. My um, my magic wand is if it's not working and you've repeated it, you have to make it multisensory. So I know that you already said, um, and we know that most early childhood classrooms do have a very heavy um, multisensory focus because we know that all people learn well when you use more senses than just one or two and the way that you kind of own it. So um, I'm really in favor of this. I think it gives teachers a lot of power to recognize um, that you can have non-readers, you can have beginning and emergent readers, and then you can have pre-readers or readers who are just on the beginning cusp. And I think that a lot of teachers that I speak with want to become better at teaching kids who don't know how to read, how to read (laughs) non-readers, how to become readers, as opposed to, you know, making sure that you are taking readers and making them better readers, because that's where, that's where there's this big gap. And I think that's where the inequity lies is if you're not reading at the very beginning, it's going to be a lot of catch up. So um, there are some key elements. I think that this course would be really useful for a lot of teachers. It sounds
2: wonderful. Can
1: can anybody join it or they have to be in New York
2: City? Do they have to be partnered with the organization? Uh, That's a great question. So currently we are partnering with schools and um, school districts within New York City, but we have plans to... um, to continue and expand nationally within the tri-state area and even beyond. So those are all things that are in the mix and it, and it's expanding as we've gotten greater results. And as we've been able to kind of um, replicate those results, we are growing. Um, So if anybody is interested or wanting to learn more about whether or not they could get early reading matters or jumpstart at their school, uh, they should go to teachingmatters.org and go ahead and submit a request in there. And we'll be able to contact them and they'll you know, potentially have somebody that can support them or at least give them a timeline of of what support could happen. The other thing I I will share is that we have um, courses online. We used to do these workshops in person um, and then we started to realize, like, you know, it, it makes sense for teachers and their busy schedules to have these resources at their fingertips whenever they need them. So we actually have created a website, a learning management system with all of our course information. Um, And so you can kind of, uh, we have an e-designer who is amazing. She makes it really engaging for teachers to kind of go through the courses at their own pace. Um, And so that's something that could be offered if you're not in the New York City area and you're just, curious about potentially getting your hands on some resources.
1: That's wonderful, Um, because I know some of our listeners are, you know, listening and going, oh, I want this in my district, or I want to learn more about what they're doing. So thank you. Absolutely.
0: And also, if you are a parent listening, um, and you have a foundation at your school, or if you happen to be very good at writing grants, this probably is a really nice way to, um, you know, incorporate some other skills and, and think outside of the box to get resources to your school. Um, if you happen to be a corporate person listening, you may also gift this to a school that could be, um, potentially a really nice gift too. Um, I wanted to kind of go back to this jumpstart program, but though, because I also know it's a whole school approach. So can you speak a little bit more about how, how you do the whole school approach?
2: Sure. So, um, we start really with um, the school leaders and kind of uh, they go through kind of a mini workshop where we're able to share with them uh, what the approach is, what the content is, how it's going to work and what commitment they'll, they'll need um, to, to partake in or to give us in terms of making it a partnership, right? We always feel like it's really important before starting initiatives like that, uh, like this, that we get the leadership kind of on board and really clear around what are the expectations of it. Um, So we start there and then from there, we're able to meet with whoever the point person um, of the the program will be. And sometimes that's an assistant principal, sometimes that's an instructional coach and we'll have a meeting with them um, to really understand what their needs are. Oftentimes they're working one-on-one with teachers already. And so we'll share, we'll kind of get a lay of the land. We have something that's called a needs assessment where we go into the school and we are able to kind of um, see classrooms, talk to key key folks within the building, uh, check in with some students because we know that every school is a little different and how they do things and what they need. and so. We then from that needs assessment are able to kind of map out a coaching plan, what we call a coaching plan, and we modify that coaching plan based off of what the school needs and from there we're able to meet with um, and do the work with teachers and in teacher teams. Um, and so it, it really is a whole school approach in that, uh, leaders are involved in every step of the way we meet with leaders consistently throughout the program. So they're aware we invite and, and ask that leaders join in on the meetings and be a part of the conversation because that's such a critical part. And then of course, we're meeting with any other leadership in the school, whether that's instructional coaches or assistant principals, and then of course, teachers and students, um, our coaches, um, You know, we really try to make it a point to, again, personalize the approach. So our coaches will go into classrooms and actually work with students, you know, as the school allows and be able to model, demo. Uh, I don't like to say model because nothing makes it sound like it's going to be this perfect lesson, but it won't. It's going to be a demonstration that the teacher and the coach can have a conversation from. Um, But I find that to be really helpful because oftentimes you go through a PD or you learn something and you say, that's great, um, but what about for my students or what does that look like in my classroom? And so the fact that the coach can actually go in and work with your students in your classroom, um, again, we did that remotely and we do that now in person. Um, it, I feel like it's really powerful and it really helps teachers walk away with, OK, I see how that was handled In the context of my classroom, when I have student A who likes to get my attention when I'm trying to work with student B. And so um, we really do try to become a part of the school community. Um, It happens naturally. I, I won't even say we try to do it. It happens naturally. And I think that has has a big impact on um, just in terms of the students getting really familiar with us being there, and they'll know you by name. Um, and it helps to make it a whole school approach um, that that really is effective.
0: One of the things that you um, mentioned that I really love, as you said early on, is it's not just modeling, it's a demonstration, and then you walk through it together. Because it, it kind of makes the assumption that the coach isn't perfect. And I think that that's really helpful for teachers. So that intimidation barrier kind of gets broken down a little bit because um, I think that is so key. And then also, um, you know, showing and modeling I, I learned so much just by going and shadowing and watching other teachers teach. And that is how I was really able to hone my craft. And because I was a special ed teacher, I had the opportunity to go in and teach with many different types of teachers and learn, um, you know, a lot of different techniques. So, um, you know, as a co-teacher, that's uh, that can be really a benefit. Um, but it's not likely for many classroom teachers, especially when you just close your door and you just are supposed to do what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, so, I really like that approach. Um, can you give us some success stories or any examples of things like? You no know, pushback or how you've gotten to um, you know smooth the edges a little bit with any teachers that are a little bit resistant
2: Oh sure, that's a great question so um it's it's funny that uh, one of the first schools that I did the early reading matters program in um I'll never forget I went in there you know kind of bright eyed and bushy tailed ready to like give my PD and here's the program and everyone's going to be so excited. And so I got there, I did my PD and it was like crickets like the whole time. Um, And so I was like, okay, well, this is going to be some work. And um, what I ended up doing um, in my, in my first kind of my next visit there, after getting that kind of warm welcome, I, went into each classroom and I, I did my little, you know, small observation. Um, and I left little sticky notes, um, with just something positive that I saw in the classroom. And I just, because it, it reminded me when I was a teacher, when that was like my primary role of like, anytime someone came into my classroom, I kind of felt like all of a sudden I had these like bright lights just on me. Right. And there was like the heat internal heat kind of came on and I was a confident teacher. I knew my kids. I knew what I was, you know, for the most part, I felt like I knew what I was doing. I had some success in the classroom, but it was just that the fact that somebody else was in there. And I always equated someone coming into your classroom as kind of coming into your home a little bit of like, this is where, this is where I I put my life's work into and you're here to see me. And so it was really important for me to go into that classroom and not walk out without showing the teacher that I had seen something amazing. Because that's really, when I go into classrooms, that's, you know, you see so, so many amazing things. And while I may be there to help support and to give some new ideas or to maybe give some feedback, I think um, it's just really important. It was really important for me to tell the teachers or let them know that I saw so many wonderful positive things. So I left that little little sticky note with them um, and then made it a point to like come back around and have that debrief with them and really share my heart of wanting to support them um, and wanting to see the, their kids be successful just as they did. Um, And so I think starting off the relationship in that way really helped and some of those teachers that I worked with in that initial school still text me to this day. And like, we really made, we really had such a bond um, after that because I think, you know, and they told me later, we thought you were here to, you know, check in on us. And I was like, no, that's not what I was here for. So it it was just um, I will never forget the feeling I felt when I gave that PD and I didn't get the response of, Yes, we're so excited to start this, but um, I will also always remember the relationships that we built um, in and, you know, the text and the notes that they sent afterwards, just being really thankful for the work that we had done together. Because, you know, like we've said before, it sometimes can be really isolating and it's helpful to just have somebody kind of in your corner um, that you can learn from, ask any questions to, and not feel like... The light shining on you
0: I feel like I need to do a shout out to a little louder for all of the administrators in the back <laughs> <If you've> been... <laughs> I know that you um, also worked as an administrator but I think that that's such a genuine leadership quality that um, it's one of those other things that I keep talking about it's you can't be Hippocratic uh, no, mm-hmm. not hypocrite yeah yeah I know you yeah. a hypocrite <laughs> not the Hippocratic oath but being a hypocrite in um, you know if you want people to grow it's a little honey goes a long way, and people really are doing the best that they can. And nobody becomes a teacher to be mean or to help kids fail. That, that just right. isn't a thing. So, you know, that people are there for very good reasons. So, I love this partnership and I love your leadership style because I really do think that this is how you grow teachers, this is how you grow students. You have to model what the expectations are. And also with kindness. I think that that is just so genuine and amazing. So a little louder for all the administrators in the back.
1: (laughs) When you were telling that story, LaMonica, I was flashing back to like the wrong type of writing conferences I used to do with my students where I would correct every single thing that they did wrong in their writing. And then when I learned to start with a compliment and they would read their writing and I would just immediately... Compliment one good thing that they had done in their writing, and it just caught them off guard because they were so used to criticism as students. Mm-hmm. And then they receive a compliment from me that all of a sudden, and then they're willing to say, Well, what else should I fix? You know, or what else right. do you think I should do? And then they're asking for your feedback. Right. And teachers are the exact same way. And so that is a really powerful story. And you've mentioned this honestly since we started in question one with this interview Is you were mentioning supporting teachers, as opposed to fixing them. And I've sat through a lot of bad initiatives and a lot of uncomfortable PD and the experts come in with sort of a blanket approach and think that they can fix this. And that, that does rub us the wrong way as teachers. And so I really appreciate that you're about relationship building and supporting the teachers and that that really is how to help them grow. And then through them, then helping the readers grow.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I've never met a teacher that has said I don't want my kids to be successful ever. You know, and I think that we sign up for this this profession because we want to help kids and we want to help um, our kids that are now our students. Um, and I just keep that in mind, um, whether it's a teacher who's you know having some difficulty that year or a teacher that's really you know excel. Um, accept- or having a lot of success in the classroom that year, we're all coming from the space of wanting to support our students. And I think keeping that in mind, uh, I agree, it goes a long way.
1: Well, um, I want to ask sort of a question. We've been, this whole season and also last season, we've been like floating around the reading wars with, you know, like sort of, guided reading and Lucy Calkins and all that versus science of reading and structured literacy versus balanced literacy. And I expect you're seeing that if you go into a variety of schools within a big district like New York city. And so how do you balance like that line of where, you know, some dish some initiatives might not seem like they can coexist in the same space, but we. even though really they all have the same mission, which is to try to help students develop their literacy skills, but they seem to go about it a different way.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I have found that um, baby steps is really, really important um, because I think, you know, coming from a, a space where everything seemed to be balanced literacy, everything seemed to be Lucy Hawkins, and she has a big, kind of footprint in New York City, Um, we've had to take baby steps with teachers and and not not because they can't, you know, um, take on more, but because it's a lot. And um, it's a lot to go from doing something to then having to switch it up on top of everything else that's going on in the classroom and top of the world that we live in. And so I think it's been just one step at a time in thinking about you know, we like to uh, talk through all of the different parts of the the literacy day. And so it's just focusing on, you know, we're going to do a cycle on read aloud. And so we really want to think about what we know, what uh, about what works and what we know, um, you know, is not as successful. And it, and someone phrased it to me this way, because I, I do hear sometimes from teachers like, well, it's worked for me, you know, for the most part, it's kind of been working for me. Um, and someone posted to me this way, they said, it can work, but what if something worked better? Or what if, some, if something would get you there quicker? Wouldn't you want to do it that way? Um, and so we kind of talk through that a little bit. And again, it's, it's modeling. It's, it's um, kind of approaching it in a gentle way. Um, and it, it's really once, a, te- once you, a teacher kind of sees it, you demo it. Um, they see and start to see the change in students. Then it's like, okay, like now I think I can take this on. Um, but I think it just takes some time. And I think we're allowing people that time right now. Um, but at the same time, I think it's giving them the information. It's sometimes even working with school leaders, right, and starting there and saying um, this needs to shift, or this is where we're shifting, or this is what the research shows. Um, and I think once you kind of bring the facts, once you kind of bring the data, people slowly start to move along. Um, but that's not to say that we have other schools that have been light years ahead, that have been on, you know, um, on the kind of uh, uh, structured uh, reading literacy block, and they're, they've are they heard about it, they want to do it, and they're they're in it. And they may not be doing it perfectly to start, but they're giving it a try. So I think it, it just really depends on the space. But for those that are maybe aren't quite ready yet, we just take it a step at a time. And we give lots of information, we model a lot, and we show, and we try to give the background, right? And we never expect anyone just to kind of believe us because we say it. Um, But we really want to give the facts and the data and the information. And slowly but surely, we're able to um, kind of make those shifts.
1: Thank you. Like, we had this similar conversation with Wiley Blevins, who also works in New York City, and he was saying, can we just have more nuanced conversations? And so it's just very nice to have that with you, too. And that not all balanced literacy is bad. Like, we're not saying throw away read aloud. It's just built, you know, put in research-based practices in your reading. In your reading, exactly. Put in exactly. research-based practices and a good scope and sequence in your guided reading. <laughs> you know?
2: Exactly, so, exactly.
1: That's I love it. that. Thank you so much for. That's why you're a good fit here because um, <laughs> that, that's the approach we're taking here. Um,
2: well, I think in it's the important. Lounge. Yeah, I think it's important for no one to feel like they're doing something wrong or like they, you know. I think that there's just there's room to grow and we all need to be growing, which is what we ask our students to do. So we should do that too. That's
0: beautifully said. I love that. Yeah, there's, when you know better, you do better. And so you have to be willing to kind of take those little risks and, and try little things. But I also really appreciate that you're saying with baby steps, with hand holding and demonstrations, and it's not just here, read this book or attend this two hour webinar and then do it. Because right. we we can already say that teachers are exhausted by that method. It, that that professional development is just it, it's kind of tired right now. It's too exactly
1: <laughs> exactly
0: yeah.
1: And you're also right, Lamonica. Like the data is the fastest way to change minds. Like. I had so many teachers resistant to the things that I was doing when I was doing phonemic awareness with struggling upper grade readers. And everybody was looking at me like I was crazy 12 years ago. And then they saw their reading scores go up all of a sudden. And I'm like, because I filled in the missing piece and I filled in that gap. And then they're like, okay, you can do whatever you need to do in that little corner over there with the students. Like I'm on board now.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. Cause we're all here for the same purpose and reason. We want to help kids. And so when we see that it can be done, um, we will, we will get on board with it, but, um, you kind of have to show it sometimes and not just talk about it.
1: Yeah. So I love that y'all keep, um, keeping data and assessments repeatedly through your program so that you can keep proving that and changing those minds with the teachers and, you know, showing them, like you said, like, um, well, why don't you do this approach? Because then it can get the results faster. So I love that. Well, let's go to like more a micro level because I really want to hear more about like what you actually did at your school in in the South Bronx. Like how were you able to get 90% success?
2: Okay, a lot of lessons learned there. Um, But um, I, I tried to boil it down to some key things. So one, it was an all hands on deck approach. It really was. We were a small school um, so it took me as the leader of the school. It took the dean of the school. It took even uh, our specials teachers were on board. It really was an all hands on deck approach. Um, and that included um, parents as well. And so we have some parent workshops where we kind of broke down for parents. Here's what you can do at home and try to make it really simple. And if you can't um you know sit down and kind of um what do I want to say if you can't sit down and and kind of do these strategies with them at least be around to have them and listen in on them reading or if you don't have books in, in English at your home whatever text that you have at home you can use those and have them read in in their uh home language as well so um we had those parent um, meetings where we shared with them what our goal was and what students particularly needed to work on. And we were trying to be very specific with that. And here's some quick things you can do um, at home. Then we um, structured it in such a way that, um, okay, so that was the all hands on deck piece. And then the phonics piece for us was really important. We gave more time to phonics and we actually did some small group phonics work that we hadn't been doing in the past. And so by increasing that, um, because these students, it was a new school. So our students who were in first and second grade had never had our instruction in kindergarten Um, And for second grade, our first graders. So they were brand new to us and we were still learning about them. Um, But we really prioritized phonics and phonics instruction in our small group instruction as well. Um, And then I think the other piece was the data and communication. So we had to keep very close track of students' data and not terms of like where they are now and where do we want them to go, but also some progress monitoring. So we got really clear about our observations when we were working with students, either in whole group or in small group. And the communication piece with that was sharing that with um, leadership at the time, um, and to help us kind of think through when we felt like we weren't making as much progress as a student, we asked teachers to kind of flag that and we had conversations about individual students. Um, again, we were small, so we were in it talking about individual students and how to progress so progress them. So we did a lot of progress monitoring. Um big, I think, big idea things of getting all hands on deck, including parents, that was a critical component, Uh, making sure we really emphasize the phonics and and use our our phonics program in that way, including some small group instruction with it. And then third, monitoring the data really closely in terms of progress monitoring and reaching out when we felt like a student wasn't making progress or when teachers felt like they were a little bit stuck as to what to do next. Um, and then the last thing, we actually had a literacy coach in our building uh, that came and supported us through that process, which her feedback was invaluable at the time, um, the only caveats I, I will say to this, because I know it's, it sounds really simple, we were a charter school, and so we had some resources. Um, we weren't lacking in that, even though we were in the South Bronx and um, our school had a high percentage of students who were in po- poverty. Uh, we had a good amount of resources. Um, and then the other thing, which I know is hard to get, is we had the time. Uh, We had a longer day. And so I think those factors, those two critical factors helped us to to reach that, um, which I know do not come easily. And so I just put that out there because I don't want to I want to give the full picture that um, we had those two things on our side, which I know a lot of a lot of um, schools do not have.
0: Um, I love that you broke all of those pieces down because I think you're right. All of those pieces are really critical. And I think overall, it's getting everyone in the school on board and assuming that the culture is, that this is part of the priority of the culture and the way that we, you know, honor our students, honor our staff members is that we support each other and how can we get everyone involved? Um, So I think that the one part that like, really kind of like keeps coming back to me is I love that you get the administrators on board first and foremost, because I think what has been my observation recently is that uh, there's too much on the plate of administrators too. And so they get the pressure that says, hey, we need these scores improved. And it becomes more like punitive rather than um, supportive. And that's where the teacher stress comes in. So I really, I think that All of these key factors are so important. And yes, time is wonderful. Having a longer day and also having extra resources to be able to spend is amazing. Um, I have a friend who often recommends if you happen to be a parent or a teacher in a wealthier district that has a strong foundation, consider matching for a foundation of um, Mm -hmm. a, a lower performing school that is within your district. Um, and so that's something that like, I really commit to as well, because I think that is so important. We, we do need to spread the resources more equitably. Um, but this program sounds just so exciting. I'm like, uh, I'm I'm ready to jump in. (laughs) You you make it sound so, um, exactly what, what we've kind of been looking for.
2: Well, it's, it's amazing. And I think that you know, the work that I get to do is amazing. And I think um, it's, it's really exciting. So I'm glad that I'm able to kind of convey the excitement that we all have for the f- program, because it, it truly is, I think, exactly what uh, teachers and schools need in terms of the level of support that they're likely looking for right now, given everything that we're in. Um, and so, you know, that's really our goal at Teaching Matters is, to make sure that we are that support. Um, it's not an easy job. That's an understatement. And there needs to be some kind of help. And I wish that I had this kind of help um, when I was, you know, back when I was a teacher. And I'm, I'm glad that we had it for our school as an administrator. But uh, I remember those days as a teacher and you're kind of looking around like, okay, what are you doing in there that I can do too? <laughs> so I think um, it, it's, it's it's empowering work. It's work I would probably do. Um, probably shouldn't say that out loud, but I would probably do it even if I wasn't, you know, um, in this job. It's just work that I love and, um, and I'm so proud to be a part of this organization and this program.
0: That sounds so great. Can you share again, um, if people are interested, how they can find out more about the Jumpstart
2: program and Reading Matters? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're interested... Please go to teachingmatters.org. Um, there's a link there where you can inquire about more information and we will be able to respond to you. We have people um, that take those requests in and are able to get it to me um, or whoever it, it may go to. Um, so please go on to our website if you're if you're looking for some support there.
1: And we'll link also in our show notes to some support. Specific areas within your website, like those webinars you were talking about. And then also, um, when I was digging around there, I found some great free assessments, like a concepts of print assessment that can be given online or in person. And I thought that's something we don't always assess. And I loved that y'all had made a high quality assessment for that, as well as other skills. So there's a lot of good things there for teachers. Thank you. Well, we just have loved talking to you, like Mary and I love talking about literacy all the time which is why we create a podcast about it so we're glad that you joined us in the reading teachers lounge and uh, I agree with you I would do this for free too just because I love uh, (laughs) like being a part of helping kids learn to read
2: Is it feels like a superpower (laughs) right (laughs) I agree yeah. with you 110%. Like what else would you ever want to do in life, right?
1: <laughs> right. And then, you know, the fact that then you can help a teacher and then through that teacher, if you help 10 teachers and then they have 20 students each, then you've helped 20, you know, 200 students. So,
2: Yeah, exactly. I think we're in about 40 schools right now, which is like roughly 400 teachers, which is roughly like 10,000 um, students. And so it's, you're right, your, your impact, your reach, gets there. It's exciting.
0: I have really enjoyed listening to all of these, um, tidbits that you've offered. It's, it's so nice to see how this process can actually be broken down because I think that everybody is just searching. How can we figure this out? I really love the process that you have right now. So thank you so much for meeting with us today and, um, make sure listeners that you check out our show notes so that you can get all of the information as well. Uh, advocates, Um, anybody who is um, an administrator who's listening or or a coach. um, There is a lot of great information that we've shared today. So make sure that you pass it on, look into it, et cetera. So thank you, LaMonica. Thank you so much for your work you're doing. Yeah, this is fantastic. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for allowing me to share. I appreciate it.